Hi friends, welcome to the Like-Minded Radicals, the podcast designed for individuals like you who believe there's a better way to work and live. Hi friends, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the Like-Minded Radicals, the podcast built to start a workplace revolution. This is episode two. I'm your host, Kendra Parker, and today we're going to embark on an extraordinary journey into the brain. Our guest today is a dynamic force shaking up the traditional workplace in extraordinary ways. Through her groundbreaking work, Julia works with leaders and teams alike, helping to elevate every individual's contributions. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome my new friend, Julia Armet, the visionary mind behind A Higher Playbook. Welcome, Julia. Hi, Kendra. I feel just so seen through that intro. Ah, I love it. I'm so excited by the work that you're doing at at Higher Playbook. But why don't we start with um, a quick introduction? I really want to ground us in kind of the today and here and now. I think we'll hear a lot about your journey as we chat over the next hour. But who is Julia Armet today? Who is Julia Armet today? That's such a profound question, and I feel like the question, who am I, has been truly that existential question that I've been seeking my entire life. Mm-hmm. And how I answer it today is likely going to be different than how I'll answer it tomorrow. Yep. I am dynamic, and I am a invested, visionary thought leader who really cares about creating spaces for people at work, particularly spaces for people who are in unseen populations. I'm an autistic leader, and so I am super passionate about elevating neurodiversity within the workplace. The way that I do that is through opening up new conversations and really inviting people to unmask, and that's a privilege. So it is very much my privilege to be able to step up here today and be seen as an autistic leader. You've been really transparent about your autism diagnosis. I'm so curious, like what led you to even seek out the diagnosis in the first place? Very much a whole life story. I think it is put into context in the midst of COVID when we look at just what transpired. There was disruption just across the world. And for me, it very much was a disruption to my life, both personally and professionally. My whole life, I've always had this feeling of not fitting in and a sense of being different. And when COVID hit, I got laid off from a position that I was in for seven years. And I really started to question why. And my whole life, I've questioned why. Like, why is it so hard for me socially? Why is it so hard for me to feel understood? Why is it so hard for me to translate some of my ideas? And as I was just sitting in my apartment during COVID, was fortunate to have a friend who was a neurodiversity coach approach me and say, Julia, can we talk about your brain? And this, this was a really great entry point. What she didn't realize is I'd spent years just researching the DSM and the recognition that I am autistic probably happened five years ago. It was around two and a half years ago where I pursued a diagnosis and really had a lot of my own self-awareness at that point. So being able to speak to a psychologist, go through 15 hours of assessment, that built up. I didn't 
to that. I basically had years that I had already kind of arrived at this knowingness that I'm neurodivergent. It was that moment of self-responsibility during COVID that had me definitely, I think, really desire that answer. And it's validation. It's very much existential validation and it's very healing, especially when, for me, I existed for, at that point, 32 years without being able to make sense of so many of the things that I went through on a daily basis. Wow. That's amazing. You've talked about, you've talked about kind of the, I think the diagnosis gives you what I would assume is a vocabulary. And I, yeah. I've heard you speak about neurodivergence. Um, can you just give us a brief rundown of some of the vocabulary that you're trying to introduce into the workplace so that people have a better understanding and a framework? Absolutely. When we're talking about neurodiversity, almost like an umbrella term, we're referring to a concept that was first coined by Judy Singer. It's to describe the natural variation in our neurodevelopment. And within that, there's a neurodiversity movement, which is really all about elevating neurodivergence and really being able to showcase that we as individuals have those natural variations in how we think, how we behave, how we perceive. Right. The word, the word neurodivergent, that refers to an individual who displays atypical patterns of thought or behavior. And so for me, if I'm saying I am neurodivergent, it's really just referring to the fact that as an individual, I might think differently than the majority. Another term that I often like to insert just into conversation is neurotype. And that's the type of brain, it's how a person interprets and responds to information. So if you say, what's your neurotype? That's a question that invites people to consider, how do they think? Because truly, when we are thinking about a group of people, it's a neurodiverse group. We are coming yeah. from types of brains. And so just to be able to, within that, find a word that really resonates with you, not everybody's going to fall within a category of neurodivergence, but mm -hmm. there are going to be many people who, through just exploring what their neurotype is, get to recognize, wow, I'm autistic or I'm ADHD, I'm dyslexic. There's so many different neurodivergences that it can really be a matter of finding various answers to really identify. And that definitely is the first step when it comes to being able to relate to yourself, but also being able to relate to others. And I, I love the idea that it is about understanding self, understanding the way your brain works, and then being able to articulate that to others, right? Workplaces are starting to really kind of key in on this, and, and we're seeing them talk about neurodiversity. What are we doing right so far? That's a big question. I think the social consciousness of our workforce has, I'd like to say arrived because we're at a point where people are totally receptive to the DEI conversation. So we right now are prioritizing DEI as a major workplace objective. So that right. means we can start to have, let's say, allocated funds towards workshops, whether they're workshops about neurodiversity, workshops about relationship building. There's so many different, I think, angles to just introducing the neurodiversity conversation. I feel like right now what's right is the fact that we are witnessing collectively the prioritization of DEI. It is really more a matter of beyond just prioritizing DEI as a compliance objective, 
being able to come in and actually recognize that it's not just about helping or supporting people who are different, but it really is about creating space to see and recognize the unique gifts and contributions that we are capable of. I am um, definitely been on that journey myself. And in conversations with you, you've made me question my own kind of neurodiversity um, and whether or not I'm somewhere on the spectrum, which is fascinating because it in conversations with you, you say things and I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, I feel now I feel seen. Um, but I question though, one is I think it seems that diagnosis is somewhat hard to come by older and, you know, when you're a little bit older in age, which is interesting as we see that ADHD seems to come out in women much later in life. Um, but as we start to potentially see people receiving some diagnoses or at least searching for it to understand the way their brain works, how do we ensure that those that are lower on the spectrum don't somehow kind of diminish the experience for those that might be higher on the spectrum? I think it really is important to just recognize the individuality of every person's experience. And we also want to just recognize that when we think about a spectrum, it's not linear. It's not about, okay, higher, lower. I think some terms that are outdated would be high functioning and low functioning. That's no longer yeah. really used. It's really about seeing truly the various components of how we think. Somebody might be very skilled with linguistics, less skilled with, let's say, executive functioning. So just to be able to honor the individuality and just be able to I think recognize the intersectionality of people's identities, particularly if you're female and you're autistic, that's an intersection that doesn't necessarily get as much visibility as let's say a male who might be also identifying as autistic. Somebody is, I'm gonna bring in another language, gifted, and they are considered on an IQ level, IQ-wise, very high aptitude, we can use language like twice exceptional. So if somebody is twice exceptional, also autistic, also ADHD, for example, that's showcasing another unique individual experience. So I think at this point, it is really a matter of realizing that you can't generalize um, what it means to be, let's say, autistic or any neurodivergence. Instead, it's a matter of asking and getting curious around what an individual's needs are, what an individual's gifts are, what their strengths are, what their challenges are. And just having that curiosity to realize we're all going to be just unique individuals. I love that. I keep saying I love that. Um, <laughs> but I, I really, I really, I, I just enjoy speaking to you and, and your perspective so much. It seems like because it is lived. Um, so tell me a little bit about the work that you do when you go into an organization. Is is your, you know, do you, do you address your autism diagnosis? Um, how do you express that to the folks that you're working with? And how potentially could someone who's listening, who might also be on, you know, neurodivergent, introduce that in a way that's comfortable for them? Disclosure is definitely a privilege. And I say that because not everybody is going to have a psychological safety to yeah. disclose it could impact their livelihood. I made a promise to myself that I would make my work and my impact inseparable. And that looks like when I show up, I identify as an autistic leader very casually. And when I'm speaking on a topic like unmasking neurodiversity and doing that workshop, 
very much gives me that sense of, let's say, expertise because I'm coming from my lived experience. I'm not on that topic and I'm doing more of a full day culture activation where it's really about unlocking the talent potential of a diverse group of professionals, I will use myself as an anecdote at times, especially when it comes to a topic like masking. And so when yeah. I start to allow people, whether they are neurodivergent or not, to relate to just the phenomenon of masking, it helps to allow people to realize that the challenges or potential barriers that we come up against might be shared. And what's amazing is when I can be a new reference point and be a different reference point for people who've never seen a female autistic leader, it gives a openness and a curiosity the next time somebody else comes along and says, I'd like to disclose that I'm autistic, or I'd like to disclose that I'm dyslexic, I'm ADHD. So many different needs that people bring into the workplace experience and so many different gifts. And so it is up to each one of us to see every human from that perspective of what is this person able to contribute and also what could potentially be standing in the way of this person performing at their optimal potential. Which is brings up the point of roles, right? Because we create the role before the person fits into it. And so, so much of it has been drafted where really what we need to be doing is somewhat opposite, right? And, and at least creating malleable roles so that when people come in and they show up and they can articulate their values and their unique gifts, they can craft that role into something that really celebrates that. How could someone start that journey? Do you work with um, organizations on that? I think when it comes to more of a bottom-up approach, working with individuals in one-to-one leadership development. That's really all about defining an individual career pathway. And I think working with organizations would be much more from a consulting capacity to be able to invite the question of how can you evolve your organizational structure as our workforce, as our workplace experience is also evolving. So we're at a really interesting time right now where the roles of today will not necessarily be the roles 10 years from now, which means that our organizations must let go of, let's say, an expectation for people to fit into the role, but instead really consider the function of development and how they can really harness the unique purposes of each individual toward the collective purpose of the organization. And that reconceptualizing of just the social dynamics of the workplace, I'm super passionate about facilitating along with consulting on. Yeah, I feel so, so aligned with that. This idea that organizations have a purpose that they're kind of galvanizing the group around and, and, and creating a, a rallying cry is great. And and that's been a shift, but it's time to really get into that individual level because if I might align with that purpose, but I might not like my job at all, and that's not going to keep me there. Um, And so really getting to that next layer of that human experience, because what's so interesting is what you said, we don't know what roles will even be around in the future. We've, you know, generative AI is, is out in full force. We know technology will has always been looming and, and wanting to kind of threaten our jobs per se. And all we know about the future is that humans will still be humans. Yeah. And humans, as much as they will still be humans, what I realize is 
we're evolving as humans too. So the humans 50 years from now might think differently based on the fact that they're going to be using different capabilities, different parts of their brain as it interacts with emerging technologies. So you think about, well, if we as humans are evolving at the same time that just our technologies are evolving and the world is evolving, yeah. how, how are we moving together? Because there's an acceleration. It's not, it's not necessarily going to be all factors accelerating at the same time. But if you think about the synergies that exist and how we can actually move with the changes and learn how to really be agile when it comes to talent coming in and saying they have these ambitions, they have these visions for their career and getting curious around, okay, how can we build that individual career pathway so that you're not just set up to succeed in one role, but that you right. really see this organization as a place that you could build a home. Yep, an organization that's going to help facilitate that experience for you that you're really craving. And that's really my goal here is I definitely do not ever want people to think that, you know, to to live your purpose or to create meaningful and fulfilling work, you have to leave the corporate world. You can create an experience in an organization um, that is fulfilling and is successful and is meaningful work. But we have to start to shift the, the collective kind of mindset of those organizations to help them realize that they need to be getting into that deeper level of the individual to, as you say, help elevate their contribution. Um, and I love that you use the word contribution over performance because performance to me feels almost competitive. Um, it makes me think about being stacked ranked. It makes me think that my organization maybe just wants to get the best out of me. And I, that feels, you know, that they're, they're trying to pull into me. And I, I love this idea of like, the, we hear organizations talking about tapping into your potential. Like you can't tap into my potential. Only I can tap into my potential. So help me facilitate that experience. Um, but what are your thoughts on that? I think that's a very important distinction. So just you illuminating that to really get curious around the difference between performance and contribution. Anybody who's listening can really start to think about how are you contributing? Are you bringing your true talents or are you just bringing what you're good at to actually be in that zone of genius where you are in flow and you are really bringing the true gifts that you have to the table? not just the things that you've been trained on or that you think you're good at, but the aspects of your individuality that might not even be common, the uncommon talents. I think that there are many people who have more, I'm going to say supernatural gifts. And this is a thing that I think is a little bit radical. So I think it's great for the, but if we think about the radical gifts that we as humans have, non-localized intelligence, the ability to tap into our future forecasting. There's so many different intuitive gifts that when people feel safe at work and are encouraged to contribute and not just seen as performers, but given the space to contribute, such as the time and the resources for special projects, that's really a great way of cultivating a culture of contribution and ensuring that people do have that psychological safety to realize that the time that they're putting into mastering their skills and talents 
is valued by the organization and not just something that they have to consider the ROI on. So yeah, I feel that's a major paradigm shift to move from cultures of performance to cultures of contribution. And that's possible when there's the allocation of time and space for people to be in that mastery orientation of bringing their talents to the table. Ah, I love it. I love it. She's gone there. Supernatural. Um, what you just what you just summarized is basically my experience. So for me, I think um, I you know climbed the corporate ladder and I did what I was good at and I did what I was always told I was good at and I was curious. So I moved around a lot. So I had a really nice. Um, variety of roles and I have a superpower in being able to kind of connect dots that other people don't see. So that's always really benefited me. But as I got up further up into my career, I kind of hit a milestone promotion and thought, I've done this everyone else's way. This doesn't feel authentic to me. I don't feel like I got here fully utilizing my unique gifts and talents. And so that really started me on this journey of who is, what is my authentic self? How do I learn how to articulate those? Um, and what it led to was some assessments. So I'm curious, be, besides the, the autistic diagnosis, what other modalities potentially, and they could be supernatural, kind of helped enlighten you on what some of your unique gifts were? I feel like this is a great time to introduce the Conscious Business Institute because of the fact that we have so many great assessments that we've received through CBI, one yeah. being the color assessment, another being the magic assessment. Both are really great in terms of identifying that authentic purpose, that authentic talent that you possess. For me, I also am trained on a powerful tool called the Energy Leadership Index Assessment. And that's incredible in being able to capture real data around the belief systems of people at work. And so when we think about pulsing people and culture, the ELI, which is the Energy Leadership Index, is measuring the consciousness of people at work and being able to provide a numerical value to then meet people where they are and invest in people and culture work appropriately. So much of the time there's just these prescriptive solutions for people and culture versus the ability to identify where a group is psychographically and then be able to influence that group through mastering various leadership competencies. And so I very much do believe that we're at a moment in time where innovating our assessment approaches and be able to really aggregate data that maybe in the past was seen as intangible, it's important in this day and age when we are considering the future of work, that we are really thinking about human factors in a deeper way. And to capture some of those human factors requires new technologies, requires new assessments, requires new approaches, requires new leadership. And so I do believe that leaders like yourself, who are really in emerging roles, titles like director of workplace experience, these titles that are very much unchartered are allowing leaders to say, how do I wish to build this culture roadmap and what tools do I wish to bring in so that we can set this team up to make the ultimate contribution to the world? Amazing. Amazing. So inspiring. And I think what's so inspiring is 
obviously you and I are not the only ones thinking this way, right? The, the, your your company has been built on kind of providing that as a solution. CBI obviously was pivotal for both of us. Um, if we think about consciousness, it is it is one of those uncomfortable words. Um, if we think about kind of stodgy old workplace mentalities, how have you been able to kind of introduce it in ways that maybe feel a little bit more uh, consumable? I think that's a very important question that goes back to this idea of how do we define consciousness? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the time the connotations around consciousness really come from people's backgrounds in education, people's backgrounds in essentially even religion, spirituality. So if we think about defining consciousness for the workplace, it really is all about the level of awareness and choice that people have when they show up in the day-to-day of work. How conscious are you is a question that really says, how much awareness and choice do you have in the everyday work that you do? And so to be able to make it simple and introduce it like that is really to meet the present day workplace where it is and realize Mm -hmm. that we can expand consciousness through just bringing everyday awareness, bringing forth new conversations, and really through connecting with one another. It really is all about opening ourselves up to learning, growing, and in the process what happens is we are actually accessing higher levels of awareness and consciousness. Right. It hits me that that is such a choice is such a great way to think about introducing it into your own workplace. Because if we think about, I think when we look at the pandemic, you know, the beauty of the pandemic was workplaces are starting to really recognize that they are fueled 100% by their people. Right. And what we saw come out of the pandemic was this, what I commonly say is like the triumph of the human spirit. Like what an exceptional story for human beings. Um, and, And there was a recognition of the power of people. And there was this new level of choice. The employer employee dynamic really shifted where employees now have a louder voice. And that's again, what this podcast is about is kind of creating that rallying cry as a collective. So we can start to really shift the needle, um, on within organizations. But the idea of, of choice is such a great word and a, a great concept to bring into, you know, your workplace on a day to day basis to think through. Well, actually, I choose this path, and this is why, and creating that self-awareness. I like how you're just seeing the trends at this high level, because it is really a matter of recognizing how the workplace has changed through the disruption of the pandemic. And in response to that, it's up to our leaders to also essentially evolve. Mm -hmm. And if we are considering choice as, a strategy in many ways for people to be able to feel greater sense of fulfillment at work. Leaders can consider how can they empower their people with more choice. And in the process, what ends up happening is that feeling of autonomy, that feeling of freedom that so many professionals desire, that is not just lip service, but it's yeah. being met through the everyday approaches that leaders bring. And rather than resist the workforce, which is just by virtue of some of these shifts, particularly the geographic shift, much more dispersed and much more autonomous by virtue of not being in the same space, 
rather than resist it, why not move with it? And through just being able to consider just within every function of business, how can we diversify our approaches? A question like that is very powerful. And the process of diversifying approaches, what ends up happening is you serve more diverse populations. Mm -hmm. So I believe that choice is not just an important factor in terms of really honoring the autonomy of employees. Choice is also a very important factor when we are looking at meeting the diverse needs of our workforce. Yeah. And when you when you use it to honor that autonomy and the diversity of the workforce, you inevitably, I think, start to see people then having that psychological safety to perhaps be a little bit more open with, well, this is why I made that choice. And if I can articulate why I made that choice, there's greater understanding of who I am, both for you and for me. Right. And ultimately, that is, I think, where we all need to get. Um, I feel like we could. I want to add the innovation point. You're giving people more choice and empowering them to be more experimental and giving them more freedom to just play. What ends up happening is work doesn't feel like a place to just come in and clock out. Work feels like a place to enjoy yourself, a place to belong, a place to really bring your best talent and best ideas. And that I feel like is important to really highlight because outcomes like innovation are just natural when people are able to access their creative process within their workplace experience. Yep, 100%. And again, that's what it's about. As soon as you can articulate what kind of experience you need actually to be able to bring your best self to work, we see the the innovation coming. We see that, um, I won't say performance, but that uh, contribution being made in a way that we we don't see um, today necessarily. And, you know, I think, again, you don't have to quit your day job to go and find that. And that this this idea of entrepreneurship, I think, is very enticing, but also probably somewhat romanticized. Right. It's not an easy slog. I'm sure you could tell us some pretty, pretty big horror stories. And but there is opportunity within our organizations to create that role for your soul. And that's, you know, really what I think I want to champion for people is you can make it better. You can improve it, but it does start with understanding yourself and the reason you make the choices that you make. Absolutely. I feel as though it's not you wanting to, but you already are. And so just to really just say, I see you as, such a innovative leader and a leader who really is at the forefront of the workplace renovation. And a part of that workplace renovation is the identity work. So when we look at the function of people and culture, if you're not doing the identity work, you're potentially missing out on a huge opportunity to really illuminate the full spectrum of talent that exists within your organization. Yeah. So what's your magic? Do you remember? (laughs) No magic. So this is cool. This is actually something that when you do this assessment, it reveals very unique magic that correlates to just your natural gifts. Mine are illumination magic and healing touch. Ah. I'm a communicator and through my communication, I very much am bringing light to and just expanding perception. Mm -hmm. I think my presence, when we think about healing touch and we recognize on a sensory level, just my sensitivities that allows for me to be super receptive to just every 
person around me. And as a result of that, I'm really, I think, tuned into some of the more unspoken dialogues that exist. And by bringing that healing touch presence, I feel like it's actually meeting some of the basic human needs of safety, connection. And I enjoy that because I think at the end of the day, workplaces should be spaces where people do feel cared for, loved, supported, appreciated. And that is possible when we are actually investing in relationship building and having time and space within the workday to get to know each other as human beings. Yep. Yep. There's a whole um, (laughs) um, I was also the illuminator magic, um, which yeah, it really resonates. And it's funny because I'm somewhat obsessed with assessments. I've taken quite a few. You and I have done the ELI. Thank you. Um, it was really powerful. And, I'm, and I've definitely been using it over the last couple of weeks. Um, but illumination of being able to kind of create and craft a narrative and rally people around me and a message. Um, yeah, I think it's something I'm still really tapping into. And that's certainly what the the point of this podcast is, is to be able to, you know, ask the questions that people have, start digging in um, and getting very clear about a message around we can change the workplace. Totally. And you're so in, it's like you're in the pocket. If we think about you being <laughs> such a storyteller and every person that you're interviewing has a story to share and you are supporting each person on this podcast to tell their story. So I find that to be really powerful. I also think about the higher level narrative for like-minded radicals and realizing that this is a group of leaders who are on that same mission of creating a brighter future of work through showing up differently, having the courage to break the mold and being brave, being brave when it comes to, bringing more of yourself into your role. I think it starts with leaders like you, Kendra, who within global organizations are showing up authentically and bringing your purpose and talking about whether it's magics or energy leadership. When you're talking about new emergent topics, what ends up happening is you start to rally people in the process because we as humans are curious. We as humans inspired by new topics we as humans are energized when we pursue new interests so you totally are inspiring and i'm really excited just to see how like-minded radicals as a movement really encourages people i'd say to bring more of themselves into their roles yeah that's the plan that's the plan and i'm so grateful that you're here with us today to to share your perspective Um, As we wrap things up, is there anything um, you want to share around the higher playbook or how people can, where can they find you? What are you doing next? Anything you want to share? I definitely am so excited about what's happening right now within the landscape of work. I believe it's time to renovate workplace experiences. My company, Higher Playbook, is a people and culture consultancy that is invested in that renovation. It's all about rehumanizing the workplace experience through creating more time and space for people and culture to come together. And so if you are curious about higher playbook workshops, higher playbook culture activations, you can go to www.hireplaybook.com and learn more. I very much right now am excited to elevate neurodiversity. My Unmasking Neurodiversity workshop is one that 
I love facilitating because it's remarkable to witness how many people get curious around their neurotype. Mm -hmm. You can ask a are you neurodivergent? And you get so many I don't knows. And then the I don't know, there's such an opportunity to discover. So that's what gets me really excited knowing that in that moment of identification that people are able to, I guess, for me, I describe it as go down the rabbit hole and learn more about your brain. And that's, that's very exciting. It's amazing what happens when you go outside of the everyday responsibilities and objectives, and you just create that space for discovery of new interests. It unlocks so much motivation. It unlocks so much energy. And mm-hmm. then that back into the organization. So I think it's very much about today's leaders getting creative and saying, okay, how do we wish to empower people, not professionals, but people, people. the human workplace and that that shift from seeing employees or just professionals as cogs in a wheel to seeing every individual as a uniquely gifted person who's able to contribute to the development of a mission to the I think betterment of the world that's just that's just the paradigm shift that we're experiencing right now and the more we can give language to it the easier it is for people to enroll in it Oh my gosh, 100%. Beautifully said. I'm going to end it on that note because it's just a perfect way. Julia, thank you so much. Um, you. So grateful for you to spend some time just walking us through and sharing your perspective. It's so valuable. And I can't wait to have you come back someday soon and talk to us a little bit maybe in more detail about energetic leadership profiles. I'd love to. That'd be great. Oh, thank you. Enjoy thank your day. You.